morning. It's raining, so I don't have to worry about getting out of here early. You know it's fall, summer's over, socks and shoes. I'm very sad that my feet are now confined to shoes and socks, but I'm okay with it. Um, This morning we're going to talk about sin. Very popular subject in church. It's very popular because y'all do it. No, I'm kidding. Um, It's definitely not a crowd pleaser. It's not a seat filler, but it's biblical. And so we need to go there. Now, this whole teaching is based upon a chapter from a book that I've been reading by Eugene Peterson called The Jesus Way. I would highly recommend it. It's a very heady book. It's not something you breeze through. It's something you chew on and you think about. But this chapter, I've read it, um, I think now, at least twice. And last night I started to read it before I began to drool on myself and fell asleep. Um, and, and it's just an amazing chapter of, of sin. Now, in humanity, the human condition, there are a few absolutes, okay? Absolute number one, we are all going to die. None of us are going to live forever. It doesn't matter what your faith is. It doesn't matter what nationality you are, what, what, where you live. We all, as human beings, we are going to die. There's no way around it. I go to the gym not to stay, not so I live longer, just so I can die healthier. I, I, see, see death, does not, death does not bother me. Getting dead causes me a little anxiety, the process of, okay? So, so we all... We all will die. There's no way around it. Another absolute thing of of the human condition is we are all born. Everyone in here shares the same experience of birth. Now, Now, I know that looking at this physique, you might think I was chiseled from granite. But no, that is not the case. I, too, have been born like all of you. And so we share these things as humans. When we cut, we get cut, we bleed, our bones break. And, 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 and so from there, there's, there's, and then there's just fewer things that we share. Not even taxes anymore are an absolute. I mean, it used to be, well, you know, death and taxes, those are the things I can count on. Native Americans don't pay taxes. Now, my mom has told me I have a little bit of Native American in me. So I'm thinking... I researched a little bit, go to the federal government, say, I got a little bit of, they want like birth records and genealogies. I'm like, I've been to Schmitzen. I've, I watched the dancers. I can do this, but no. So not even taxes are an absolute, but there is one other thing in the human condition that we all suffer from, that we all experience. And that is sin. It doesn't matter what you believe. It doesn't matter what faith you subscribe to. We all, in the eyes of God, sin. We all fall short of who we are to be in God's eyes. So I'm going to pray, and we're going to get into it. God, I want to thank you for your word. I want to thank you that you caused it to be written. Thank you that it's ours, and we, could, we can dig it into it and, and, and learn from it. God, I pray that you would speak to our very hearts this morning that you would um, move uh, in our soul and in our spirit. Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be acceptable in your sight, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. There's this idea that floats around Christianity a little bit, and it's called perfectionism. 
And it's actually a doctrine. If you look it up on Webster in Webster's dictionary, it's the doctrine of that a state of sinlessness can be achieved here on earth. And so this idea of there, there is this idea of perfectionism that just kind of floats around and it's reared its head through different times of the Christian history. And it, and it actually says that we can live a sinful, a sinless life. Now, because of this, um, even though many churches try to just kind of kind of beat this thing down and say, no, 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 it, it's not it's not attainable at all. But but what happens is we start to divide Christians into two groups. We divide those Christians who are just kind of like, you know, yeah, I, I believe in God and I believe in Jesus and, you know, I, I get all that stuff. And then there's those who are just like, like we call, we would say, they, they would say they're really disciples. They're the ones that are really pressing in. And so you have these people that are just kind of maybe going through the motions. They come to church on Sunday. They just kind of, eh, you know, whatever. Yeah, Jesus is cool. And then you have the other side of, of you know, the, the uber spiritual people that are, they would consider themselves, you know, real disciples. The ones that, you know, <laughs> That say, you know, praise God to everything. You know, bananas are on sale, stop and shop. Praise God. You know, something like that. So, so, and <laughs> that's probably wrong, but I'm sorry. Um, I had a week off last week, so uh, pent up energy. So, and, 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 and what happens is we, we start to, we start to, cart, uh, to, to put them on sides of the fence, and it's really not fair because there's nobody that is just uber really spiritual and and then there's there's you know you know there's there's nobody that's just staying as a a mediocre christian and in fact c.s lewis says we're all moving on a continuum we're all in motion we're all either moving towards god we're all moving away from god but but what this idea this this doctrine of perfectionism says that uh uh-uh you can attain a sinless life. Listen, if you, are, if you are to live like Jesus and Jesus was perfect, then you can and you should be getting there. Now, as, as this whole idea begins to mutate, and it's really not, a, it shouldn't be a doctrine. It really should be a disorder. To, to live a perfect life is really, it's, it's almost an illness. I don't think anybody can. But as, as this whole idea mutates down the line, um, we begin to see this idea of if you... Christian sitting in the seat, take your faith journey seriously. I mean, really seriously. You can, you can put your sin to death. You can live a sinless life only if you take it very seriously. Again, our goal is to become more like Jesus. Jesus lived a perfect life. And so our goal should be perfection in our faith walk. Now, here's my experience of these people who kind of hold on to this mentality. They're just no fun to be around. I, I, I mean, really, I mean, to, to, to have the expectation put on of you to be and to live a perfect life is really no fun at all. And in fact, those people I've seen do more damage to people on an honest journey to find God and to connect with God and to figure this thing out. They do more damage than I don't know what else. Because they put the weight of what's not even in the Bible on the backs of these people. Almost like the Pharisees in Jesus' day. It seems that the perfectionists, they can't see the everyday holiness that's around them. They can't see and look out and see God in places other than church. One Sunday I came home from church and I just 
popped on my iPhone because it's the communication solution of the millennium and I can check my email from it. And uh, I turned it on and I got this email um, from, from the website and um, this person wrote to me and said, somebody told them about the church and they went to our website and they looked, you know, they read all the about us stuff and, and um, they really liked what they saw, but, but they were confused about the quote that was on the homepage. Now, when you go to our website, it comes up on the homepage. There's a welcome letter from me. And then I put a quote at the bottom and I find quotes. And if I like the quote, I put the quote. It's not necessarily a Christian quote. quote. It's not necessarily from a Christian person. Um, it's just a quote. And this person person was confused and they said, why is not, why isn't the quote from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? And now the quote read this. It's from a book I was reading. It's from a, uh, just a fiction book. And it said, to choose doubt as a way of life is like choosing immobility as a means of transportation. Deep, right? You're all like, huh? But, but it's, 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 it's a very, and, and I was like, wow, I mean, that's a really good quote. And she wanted to know why there was not a quote there from, and, and I quote her, the Lord, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And at first I was like, for real? I mean, and then I thought about it, and I got a little sad over the whole situation. And so, so I kind of, I wrote her back, and I said, thanks for checking out our website, but here's my belief. I find the truth of God in many more places than just in the walls of church. See, I find God's truth, and sometimes it doesn't even have a Christian label on it. Sometimes it's spoken by somebody who, who isn't even a Christian. And when I find those truths, God's truths out there, whether they're Christian labeled or not, man, I'm going to claim that truth in the name of Jesus, and I'm going to hold on to it. And, and I tried to explain that to her. And, and let me give you an example. The scriptures tell us God is love, right? God didn't create love. God is. God is love. And so love cannot exist outside of who God is and outside of God. Now, Corinthians tells us love is patience and love is kind and it doesn't boast. And it goes through all of those ideas of what love actually looks like, how it's played out in our life. And so if an atheist who doesn't believe in God loves with patience, loves with kindness, and guess what? They can, then they're loving with a God love. It doesn't matter what they believe. God's not limited by the foolishness of our belief. And so that atheist who loves is loving with God love. I'm going to claim that in the name of Jesus. See, the perfectionist, that person who is just pushing in, thinking they can live a perfect life, they miss so much of the beauty that happens around and outside them. King David's story in the Bible, blows a huge hole in this idea of perfection. His story shows us that, that living a perfect life is really not part of our job description as a follower of Jesus. It, it, it really isn't. In fact, his story, from start to finish, is a story of imperfection, of mistakes, of oops. Now, let's break this down a little bit. All of us at one time or another have come to the place of asking the big questions of life. Why am I here? Who am I? What's the meaning of life? What, what does joy look like? What is happiness? How do I achieve these things? And we all live within our stories, our own stories, to try and figure these questions out and hopefully to move towards some answers. And then we can enter into the story that's the, the stories that are in the Bible. 
And the, and the people in the Bible have asked and lived those same questions that we wrestle with thousands and thousands of years later. You see, the stories in the Bible, they're, they're our story. And our story are the stories in the Bible. And David's story is one of the most amazing stories that, that is really written in here. We know so much about him, about his external life, about how he acted, about the people, um, about the battles that he, took, that he won, about the people he interacted with, with Saul and with his sons and, and with Bathsheba and all those things. You know, all of these things about David. But we also know his inner story. We also know what went on on the inside. We also know about his prayer life. We have all of these things written down in the Psalms. You see, David's prayer life was how he wrestled with God, how he um, wrestled with sin and repentance and hope and despair and doubt and praise. All of these things that we wrestle with on a daily basis. David, King David, the King David in the Bible, the guy that that God says he's a man after my own heart, he wrestled with the same things. And we see his wrestlings as we read what's in the Psalms. And this this outer story of, of his life and his experiences and this inner story of his prayer life, they all just kind of commingle with each other. See, we will never fully understand who we are. We'll never fully be able to answer those questions about life and where we're going and who we are unless we wrestle with the outside and we wrestle with the inside. We have to come to a place of wrestling with God, God in us, around us, through us to fully understand who we will ever really be. It's not just an outer experience, it's also the inner experience. Now, there are two stories in David's life that are noteworthy. One story shows him at his best. The other story really shows him at his worst. One story is a shining moment moment for David. The other one, not so much. Go to second, I'm sorry, first Samuel, if you have your Bibles, chapter 24. I'm going to start reading in verse 1. After Saul returned from, persecuting the Philist, uh, from pursuing the Philistines, he was told, David is in the desert of Engedi. So Saul took 3,000 able young men from all Israel and set out to look for David and his men near the crags of the wild goats. He came to the sheep pens along the way. A cave was there, and Saul went in to relieve himself. David and his men were far back in the cave. The men said, This is the day the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I will give your enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. Then David crept up unnoticed and cut the corner of Saul's robe. Afterward, David was conscience stricken for having cut off a corner of his robe. He said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, or lay my hand on him, for he is the anointed of the Lord. With these words, David sharply rebuked his men and did not allow them to attack Saul. And Saul left the cave and went on his way. Then David went out of the cave and called out to Saul, My lord, the king. When Saul looked behind him, David bowed down and prostrated himself with his face to the ground. So here is David. He has the opportunity to kill Saul, and he doesn't. Now this is very interesting. And the interesting part of this is David is a warrior. 
David is a killer. He is not a guy that you should mess with. When he was a little boy, maybe, I don't know, 12, 13 years old, the scholarship is kind of out on that, but he was young. He took a slingshot, went up against the giant Philistine guy, whips the slingshot around, thumps the guy in the head, and kills him as a boy. Okay, so maybe that's a lucky shot. You know, maybe he's out there, he's like, oh, wow, thank you, God. I hit him in the head, the guy falls down. No, 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 no. This young boy marches out there, takes his sword, and cuts the dude's head off. This is not a guy you want to mess with. And later on, Saul wants to get David into his family. And Saul says, you know what? I'll let you marry my daughter, Michael. And if you, if you just bring me a hundred Philistine foreskins, it's in the Bible, for Samuel 18, if you bring me a hundred of those, you can have my daughter. David's like, a hundred? I'll bring you two hundred. And David goes out. Now listen, these guys did not volunteer these parts of their body to him. He had, he had to kill them and perform a little surgery. David is not a guy you want to mess with. David is a warrior. David, he's a killer. And Saul has done everything up to this point to try to kill David. He's hunted him down like an animal. He's tried to pin him to the wall with a javelin a few times while he's eating dinner. There's no, there's no love loss between Saul and David right now. But David does not kill Saul. David recognizes and sees something that's going on that's much bigger than himself. And he recognizes that God is in control and he's going to wait on God. Ooh, familiar theme, huh? He's going to wait on God to see what God does. And he says, you know what? I'm not going to lay my hand on God's anointed. This is a shining moment for David. This is, this is a high point. But David's life... It's really more about imperfection than it is about perfection. David's life is, is not um, something to be put up on a pedestal. You know what separated him from the other kings from his day besides God? That he can kill better and he can kill more than any other, any other king that was during his day. That was one of the things that separated David. And his personal life, listen, was not focused on the family friendly. All right? Uh, Dr. Phil would have even had a whole week series on the life of David. He had eight wives. He had 21 children. He had a harem of concubines. Okay. And, and two of his sons, Absalom and Anon, he comes across just as this failed, indifferent father. This is who David is. And then we get to the story of, of Paltiel. And it's just this little story in 2 Samuel, and it shows David, man, he's just, he's just downright cold and calculating. Turn to 2 Samuel chapter 3. And I will begin to read in verse, I don't know, verse 12. Then Abner sent messengers on his behalf to say to David, whose land is it? Make an agreement with me, and I will bring all Israel over to you. Good, David. Good, said David. I will make an agreement with you, but I demand one thing of you. Do not come into my presence unless you bring Michael, daughter of Saul, when you come to see me. Then David sent messengers to Ishbosheth, son of Saul, demanding, Give me my wife, whom I betrothed to myself for a price of a hundred Philistine foreskins. And so Ishbosheth gave the order. And had her taken away from her husband, Paltiel, son of Laish. Her husband, however, went with her, weeping behind her all the way 
to that place that I can't pronounce. Then Abner said to him, go back home. So he went back home. So David orders the breakup of a family. And this husband is following his wife crying. Now, now there must have, they must have been married for a bunch of years by now. And he's not like, yeah, take the woman. She's useless to me, you know. He's, he's, he's in love with her and he's following and he's crying. And David has ripped this family apart. And you know what? He doesn't care. He is going to be the king. And the king can do anything he wants. David's life is an example of imperfection. There are things we admire about David. And there are things that we not so much admire about David. David's life was never meant to be put onto some pedestal. David is not a candidate for sainthood. But his story, it's, it's our story. And our story, it's, it's David's story. And together, it's the story of God working through people who are just imperfect and messed up. Now, what separates David, I think, from a lot of other people in the Bible, and in part because we have his prayer life, we have his writing, is, is the way that he prayed. The Psalms, we get to look deep into his inner life, and we get to see how, how he dealt with brokenness, how he dealt with hurt, how he wrestled with himself and with life and with God. It's all there. These are prayers that have been prayed on just this imperfect journey and human struggle and making mistakes. How did David deal with epic failure in his life? Remember, he had an affair with a married woman, got her pregnant, tried to cover it up, didn't work, had her husband killed. Hmm. How does David deal with those things in his life? He deals with them through prayer. And for us, these prayers give us insight in how to deal with our imperfections. These prayers give us insight how we can deal with our sin. Because remember, life, death, Sin, they're all part of our human condition. And so, let's explore David's inner life for a little bit and look at some Psalms. Psalm 6. start reading in verse 1, 1 to 6. Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger or discipline me in your wrath. Have mercy on me, Lord, for I am faint. Heal me, Lord, for my bones are in agony. My soul is in deep anguish. How long, Lord, how long? Turn, Lord, and deliver me. Save me because of your unfailing love. Among the dead, no one proclaims your name. Who praises you from the grave? I am worn out from my groaning all night long. I flood my bed with weeping and drench my couch 
with tears. Here's the bottom line. There is sin in this world, and it shows itself in so many different ways and in so many different places. And if you have just taken some time to think about the condition of humanity and the condition of our world, the brokenness that, that, that's happening all around us, whether it be here, right in our own state. I heard a statistic this morning that eight out of I'm sorry, uh, one out of eight children in Connecticut will need the help of a food bank this year. And when you start to think of just these, these things that are happening in, in our world, it could be overwhelming at times. And sometimes we just get so overwhelmed with it all, we just kind of phase out, we just tune it all out, and we don't even pray anymore. I mean, how many of you recently have prayed for Darfur? How many of you have prayed for the families that, that um, lost loved ones in 9-11? How many of you pray daily for the soldiers that are fighting wars? How many of you pray daily for our president who is traveling all around the world? Whether or not you agree with him or not, just this isn't a political issue. This is a man who's leading this country. Whether you like it or not, how often do you actually pray for him? And so the overwhelming um, ideas that are just taking place in our world cause us just to kind of sit on the sidelines sometimes and just, just be spectators. Just watch. And some of us, man, we just turned around in our seats and we just, we don't even want to watch it anymore. Out of sight and out of mind. I mean, really, what can prayer really do? Think of the sickness and the brokenness. Think of child abuse. Think of murder and hunger and torture and war and poverty. I mean, what, what could prayer really do? But listen, we are not spectators. We are not spectators in any of this, in the brokenness of the world. In fact, everyone here contributes to it because we all sin and fall short of God's glory. This is not about us, Christian, and them. This is about we. This is about humanity. And if we can come to a place of understanding that we are part of the brokenness and that we actually contribute to the brokenness, we can begin to have the heart of David. Listen to what he writes again in in Psalm 6, verse 6. I am worn out from my groaning. All night long I flood my bed with weeping and drench my couch with tears. My eyes grow weak with sorrow. They fail because of all my foes. This is the prayer of a man who recognizes that he doesn't stand outside of it all, that he is knee deep in it. He recognizes that he is part of the brokenness that is taking place in the world. Listen, our journey of faith, our journey of imperfection is going to take us to some strange places. It's going to take us to slums. It's going to take us to hospitals, from soup kitchens to nursing homes. And we, we, if we recognize that we are part of it, we can come to the realization it's not in us and them. We're all in this thing called life together. And we all play a role in the goodness of it. And we all play a role in the brokenness of it. And we can learn to find common ground with, with the addict and the abused. We can learn to find common ground with, with the poor and with the wealthy. And we can learn to find common ground with people who believe and people who don't. What makes us different as Christians is not some high moral standard that we live by, not because we have all the good ethics and, and we're just so well behaved. What makes us different is Jesus. 
period. That's what makes us different. Turn to Psalm 32. Start reading in verse 1. Blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed are those whose sin the Lord does not count against them, in whose spirit is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of the summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Eugene Peterson will write that the big sin in our life The big one, the one that gets us into the most trouble, the one that haunts us, the one that eats at us, the one that will ultimately destroy us is the sin of not admitting sin. Is the sin of not admitting the very thing that we can see happening in our lives. So that is the one that will ultimately destroy us. Being a follower of Jesus, you will quickly come to a realization that at some point you are going to have to deal with the sin in your life. You just, you just don't follow Jesus and just go, yeah, whatever. I, I, I don't care. No, no, no. If you're a Jesus follower at one point in your walk, you're going to come face to face with that and you're going to have to make a decision about it. And we look, as we look at, at David's, David's story and, and his, his, his whole interaction with the world around him, we realize that, that the cure for our sin is not for you to stop sinning. The cure for our sin is not that you get it together and stop doing those things. It's not moral training. It's not better ethics. The cure for our sin is forgiveness. The forgiveness that only comes from God through a relationship with Jesus Christ. You can't stop sinning. And if you refuse to deal with God, then you are left with your own strength. You are left with moral training. You are left with denial. You are left with punishment. And I'm telling you, those things are not going to work. You can turn off the computer as much as you want, but you will find yourself one day in front of a computer and there that, that woman will be and you'll just, uh, or, or, or alcohol, whatever it is. We have to come to the place of forgiveness Through Christ, we cannot do this on our own strength. We need to confess to God. That's how we achieve forgiveness. Confession leads to forgiveness. Forgiveness leads to deliverance. Deliverance leads to recognizing the love that God has for us. And the love that God has for us leads to a place of health and restoration and reconciliation. Forgiveness is the cure. If we do not confess, our sin will make us miserable. Psalm 38.
Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger or discipline me in your wrath. Your arrows have pierced me and your hand has come down on me. Because of your wrath, there is no health in my body. There is no soundness in my bones because of my sin. My guilt has overwhelmed me like a burden too heavy to bear. My wounds fester and are loathsome because of my sinful folly. I am bowed down and brought very low. All day long I go about mourning. My back is filled with searing pain. There is no health in my body. I am feeble and utterly crushed. I groan in anguish of my heart. All my longings lie open before you. My sighing is not hidden from you. My heart pounds. My strength fails me. Even the light has gone from my eyes. Church, sin is inevitable for humanity. It's unavoidable. But saying that, it is not the way God's original plan set out. It is not the way that God, what, the, what God would want for us. Sin is cancer to our very souls. And it will slowly eat the health right out of you. See, we are, we're holistic beings. I know that's very new agey, but it's really not. Um, you can't separate emotion from our spiritual side, from our physical side, from our intellectual side. We are all just a big package deal. And sin affects every part of our very being. It, it affects us emotionally, physically, spiritually, intellectually. Every part of our life is, is um, affected by the sin in our life. And you just can't get rid of it on your own. You just can't say, I'm going to pray more and try that. Or you just can't say, you know what, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to behave better. I'm going to get rid of those people that, that influence me in a bad way. I'm not going to go to those places anymore. You just can't deal with it from, from your own personal strength. And so what do we do? How do we, how do we begin to deal with it? We, as David, have to go directly to God. And this is, this is not taking, not, not um, watering down what James says, that we confess our sins to one another. But David, man, he went to God and he, didn't, he wasn't listening to what anybody else said. Whether they were encouraging him or whether they were um, giving him advice, whether they were accusing him. He went directly to God. Look what it says in, in um, verse 15 of, of uh, Psalm 38. This is what David says, Lord, I wait for you. You will answer, Lord my God, David goes to God and takes responsibility for his own sin. He realizes that he owns it. It's, it's, it's his. It's nobody else's but his own. He recognizes he can't do it on his own. And so we will never live a perfect spiritual life. We will never live. We will never behave perfectly. So why do we think that using the same things, the same brokenness, the same imperfect parts of our life, why do we think that using those things that got us into trouble in the first place are going to get us out of trouble? That's, that's, that's dumb. That doesn't make sense. In our sinfulness, in the sin in our lives, we need to deal with God. Period. And then I believe that once you start dealing with God, then you will find that place of accountability to go to your brothers and your sisters to confess your sins and be healed. But first you come to God. 
Because it's his forgiveness that will heal and cure your sin. Psalm 51. I know we're moving through quickly. Next week, next week we'll be back and I'm actually preaching on one verse. So, Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in the secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear the joy and gladness. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. And these are some of the most poetic lines, I think, in all the Bible. In the next three verses. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore me to the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. David's writing this psalm in response to um, his affair with Bathsheba. Huge moral failure right here from the man who's God says is after his own heart. And it's very interesting that, that we, that we people, we use the idea of dirt and dirty as something negative, you know, dirty language, dirty movie, dirty mouth, dirty water, dirty air, you know, it all has this, this kind of negative feel, but dirt in and of itself is really not a bad thing. It's not a negative thing. Think of, you know, um, a garden with rich soil, rich dirt that, that plants grow in. Think of a flower pot. Um, just so you know, in, in Genesis, we're made from dirt. Okay. And so, and, but, but we were made and at the beginning, man, God's like, yeah, this is, this is good. And so dirt doesn't necessarily mean something bad. Dirt doesn't necessarily always have to have a, a negative thing put on it. But when dirt ends up in the wrong place, now we got ourselves a problem. Now it becomes dirty. Now it has this sense of being negative. So what does this mean for us? Okay. Everything that God has created Everything is good. God did not create stuff that was bad. Okay? Everything. He created, boom, he looks back, that's good. And he creates something else, like, oh, that's good. I think he went, oh, that's good. I mean, because some of the stuff, he's just like, whoa, that's, that's really good right there, you know? And, and, then, and then he creates us, he's like, now that's what I'm talking about. That's good right there. And so everything God creates is good. But everything that God created can be used for wrong and for sin the gift of food can turn to a place of gluttony god writes that i've given you wine to gladden your heart and wine can lead to alcoholism sex is a gift from god to be used in the in the in the, con, in the context context of of marriage between a man and a woman that's what i believe that's what the bible says but look at the perversion that sexuality has taken in our day. So God has created good, 
but all of the things that he has created for good could be used for bad. And that means that sin in and of itself, it just, it just can't exist by itself. Sin is the distortion of what God has intended for good. And so that means that sin is always around us and it's always knocking at our door, both in our inner life and in our outer life. We can no more live a life of sinlessness then you can jump into a pond of water and not get wet. That's reality. That's where we've come to. That's who we are. And the way that, that David is talking about in the psalm, the way to deal with sin is, is washing. And again, that washing is his way of saying to be forgiven. Connecting with God and being forgiven it's not going to be a one-time deal. Confession needs to come at the tail end of your sin. And see, the, the, the danger for us is we become calloused. Should we keep on sinning so that God keeps on forgiving? No. Open your Bible, read Romans. Maybe chapter 3. Jump headfirst into chapter 6. No. And listen, if you have this attitude of, listen, I can keep, I got me Jesus. I can keep on sinning because I will be forgiven. Guess what? You are only forgiven when you confess and repent. And if you are thinking that you can sin and just go on sinning because God is going to forgive you, you're wrong. And you're in trouble and you're in danger. And things are not going to go well with you. David says, wash me. Forgive me, David has come to a place of recognizing, man, I have messed up. Will you forgive me, God? It's a heart condition. And God, through Christ, he, is, he, he will forgive. And he will forgive every time. But where is your heart? You cannot become callous and say, I don't care. Jesus will forgive me. I'm going to continue to do it. You're not sorry. You have a calloused heart, stone-cold heart. And, and you're in You're in trouble. You are in trouble. To come to God and to deal with this stuff, it requires work at every level of our lives. Every level of our lives. But listen and hear me. I want to be very clear with this. The sin in our life does not disqualify us from being on a journey with Christ. The sin in our life does not disqualify us from being on a journey with Christ. Do I need to say it again? The sin in our life does not disqualify us from being on a journey with Christ. You might be stuck. You might be lost. You might be confused. But through Jesus and his atonement on the cross, we can still journey with God through faith with Christ. Psalm 130. And we're almost done, I promise. Verses three and four. If you, Lord, kept a record of sins, who could stand? 
but with you there is forgiveness so that we can, with reverence, serve you. If you are waiting to get yourself all cleaned up, if you are waiting to get yourself right with God, if you are trying and trying to trying to get rid of that thing, to get this thing in line, to make sure this is kind of looking better over here, if you're waiting in your own strength before you walk through the doors of that church, you will never begin a faith journey with Christ. And if you do with that mindset, your first step will be a step of arrogance because you have it all figured out, you've done it, and you've got it all together. And so why do you really even need Jesus at that point? David says, if, if, if God kept a record of our sins, who, who could stand? But he forgives, and that forgiveness allows us with reverence to serve him. Don't wait on what you can never do. Wait on God. And as you do, confess. And as you confess, accept his forgiveness. Be restored and be healed. God in his forgiveness heals. Psalm 142. I'm sorry, Psalm 143, verse 2. Do not bring your servant into judgment, for no one living is righteous before you. There is a lot of sin in the world, all right? And there is a lot of sin right here in this very room. And sin isn't something that's out there. Sin is, is, is us. We are the human condition. Our story is the Bible story. The Bible story is our story. There is none righteous. Oh, no, 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 not one. We all sin. And the danger that we come into as followers of Christ is we become obsessed with focusing on sin, whether it be our own or whether it be someone else's. And, and, and I'm not saying, listen, I'm not saying take your sin lightly. Don't. There are huge consequences for the sin in our life. But to be obsessed with it and to focus on it all the time, you are focusing on the wrong thing. David immersed himself and focused himself on the things of God. We need not to focus always on the sin in our life, but we need to immerse ourselves and focus on God. What it says in verse 140, um, 143 verse 5. I remember the days of long ago. I meditate on all your works and consider what your hands have done. When we let the things of God fill our minds, fill our hearts, fill our very souls, we will begin to notice things differently. We will begin to hear things differently. We will begin to hear the very voice of God alive, active, and well in our life and in our hearts. It is dangerous not to take your sin, our sin, seriously in our life. It is dangerous. There are huge consequences to it. But it's just as dangerous to continually Focus on that sin in your life. Stop trying to achieve what you cannot. Perfection. Our business is with God. God's business is with our sin. 
You come to God, oh, God will show you. He's not shy. And, 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 and you will, as David says, man, you, you will be, you'll be sick in soul and emotion and physically. You come to God, oh, he'll show you. Search me, oh, Lord. Scary line right there. He will. He's good that way. Our business is with God. God's business is with our sin. Now, if you go back and you read all these Psalms that we looked at this morning, you will not find one instance in any of them where David says, I won't do that again. I'm not going there. I'm done with that. Mm-mm, not me. I'm finished. I won't do it anymore. Sorry, God. I won't do it anymore. He never says that. He doesn't take any spiritual or moral high ground. He doesn't make any oath that he knows he, he cannot keep. What you will find with David is the honesty to say, man, I'm, I'm broken. And the honesty to say, I cannot do this on my own. And the strength to go to God and say, I'm sorry. Will you, will you help me with this? Will you cleanse me from this? This is, this is why God sent Jesus. We have that open door. We can be forgiven. And we can be forgiven even in the consequence of, of the bad choices that we've made. The prayers of David, they will tell us that everything within us, whether it's good, as, good or bad, everything within us has to do with who God is. Perfection is never an option. Perfection is always a seduction that will eventually pull us away from God, that will eventually pull us away from following Christ and try to fix something that we will never, ever do. Let's pray. God, I want to uh, acknowledge we are a room full of sinners. And, and even in this very moment, church, just, just take a minute and begin. If there's something that you need to just confess to God, um, just, just take a moment right now and, and do that. And if you've, you've come with a broken heart in front of him with that confession, here's what I want you to do. Accept the forgiveness you have just been given. In fact, in the quiet of your mind, I want you to say that, God, I accept the forgiveness you have given me. Amen. Now, as you go and leave this place, remember, perfection is not an option. 
But sin is not an excuse. Press into God. Press into Jesus. And he is trustworthy and faithful. And he will restore you back to health. Have a great week.